Welcome to the Draft Nut Podcast. It's your boy, Jared Feinberg, alongside my co-host, Devin Jackson, and we are your hosts for today's episode. Devin, we had a great weekend of college football and NFL action. So good to say that. Good to know that we have college football and NFL football back in our lives during this very hard time during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we got some player, some college football players that have emerged as potential sleepers for the 2021 draft. We also saw a few upsets in the Big 12, like you called, by the way, the other day. Um, and we also had plenty of info action to get to today as well. Devin, what was your favorite moment from this past weekend? Honestly, uh, just just watching football. Uh, there, were, I mean, obviously the upsets are cool for college football, but getting to watch football Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, uh, you know, with a, a bevy of games on on the schedule, getting to see a kind of kind of sense of normalcy, you know, kind of going back to you know last fall and and just having so many games going on at the same time. Uh, college football finally saw some Power Five teams. The Big 12 didn't look good. ACC looked solid. Um, but, you know, pretty much in terms of everything else, you know, NFL, there was a couple upsets or a couple surprise, you know, performances. But generally speaking, everyone that we thought would win won, the, won their games. Um, you know, your Panthers kept it close with the, the Raiders uh, that, you know, you, you expected as well. Um, you know, the Washington football team beat the Philadelphia Eagles, which – not many people saw it coming, but that they are now on top of the NFC East, which once again, nobody saw coming at any point this season. Um, you know, really nice battle, NFC South, Bucks, Saints. That was a really nice battle. Um, and then, you know, the, the Sunday night game, you know, was a thriller. Rams, Cowboys, uh, another, you know, somewhat controversial call to kind of end the game. So that was uh, interesting to see everyone's reactions. And then Monday night, Steelers looked dominant over the Giants for most of the game. And then the the nightcap last night, Broncos, Titans, uh, was a snooze fest, unfortunately. But, you know, still good to have football back. We were talking at um, before the show that, um, like like you said, the game last night was a snooze fest. I watched a little bit of the game to start out, and then I was, like, starting to get real tired, and so I fell asleep. Um, so I guess it definitely was a snooze fest. And like you told me, um, that, uh, Judy had two drops, which I didn't realize, but like just going through my Twitter timeline, like the reactions of Goskowski missing all of his kicks and then hitting the game winner. And then you have Jerry Judy just balling out as well, despite the two drops. Um, good day for Corey Davis fans. Um, good day for him as he's, hoping to get a second contract with the Titans. Um, Noah fan, uh, fans of him. I was a big fan of his. He had a good game as well, caught all of his passes. Um, so it, it was good to see some of the players we liked uh, ball out. But also, again, it, it's just – it was kind of expected from my perspective that that game would be close and it would be more of a snooze fest because both defenses are really good for both Denver and – uh, Tennessee and Denver did not have Bob Miller. They're not having Bob Miller for all this year, potentially. So the fact that they performed that well without Bob Miller just goes to show us like how good that Vic um, Bangio defense is and how talented that defense is overall. 
Um, really impressed with Drew Locke um, early in the game. Um, he was making some nice throws, um, making some nice throws off platform. Um, he was accurate um, for the most part from what I saw um, before I fell asleep. Uh, what were your thoughts on Drew Locke last night? Generally speaking, he looked pretty good. Um, like you said, he, he was making some nice throws all platform, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I really didn't like the play call in the second half. Noah Fant didn't get targeted until late in the fourth quarter yesterday after pretty much dominating the first half. So I don't know if that was more of a scheme thing or just something that happened over the course of the game where you kind of lose sight of that. But Noah Font should have definitely got more touches. Uh, like I said, a couple of big Jerry Judy drops. Uh, there was a throw at the end of the game that Locke did miss that ended up kind of costing them. Uh, they were, you know, kind of running down the clock and it was like a third and eight. Uh, it was a double move, uh, to the outside, uh, to Deshaun Hamilton. Had a step on Malcolm Butler, but, uh, Locke threw it a little, a couple steps too far. Um, so then, you know, Titans went down and, and kicked the game winning field goal with Gustowski. Uh, but also something to note in that game, Vic Fangio, Fangio's, uh, poor clock management. So the Titans were driving and they were getting in field goal range. And Vic Fangio decided not to use any of his timeouts. Like he essentially let the Titans run the clock down and they ended up getting the ball with like 20 seconds or so left, but he didn't use any timeouts. He didn't use one to ice Gostowski. <laughs> he, didn't he didn't ice Gostowski? No, no, he didn't. Oh my God. And he, he, ended, he ended up the game, he had two timeouts left over at the end of the game. So. Uh, that was a, a big talking point, uh, you know, towards the end of the game on Twitter. Uh, poor clock management, both by both teams, really. Uh, the Titans weren't, they were basically content with Gostowski making a game winning field goal potentially after he missed, what, three field goals and extra point. So, uh, it was, uh, it was Had interesting. Had a for the future Hall of Famer. Yeah. Like so that. it was interesting. It was interesting. What, I just wanted to bring that up, but that was an interesting way to end the game. But, <laughs> Uh, Drew Locke, he looks, he has some tools, man. Uh, he needs his receivers to somewhat get healthy. Uh, Sutton is down. Hamler didn't play. So, you know, the Broncos offense still isn't at full capacity. Uh, Philip Lindsay went down with the injury as well. He had turf toe. He had, uh, they diagnosed him with turf toe. So that's going to be something to, to uh, keep an eye out on for. So for the Broncos right now, the running back rotation is worse Freeman and, uh, Melvin Gordon. So. We'll see kind of what happens with that and, and if Lindsey can get back into the fold. But uh, Locke, Locke looked pretty good uh, last night. Uh, fourth quarter, it was it was a it was a pretty, eh, you know, not great fourth quarter for both teams. But it's the first week. And like I said, the Broncos aren't at full capacity. But uh, it was a it was an interesting game to watch. Week one is very fans are very deceptible of overreacting especially in week one, it's like all that anticipation for the season. And then you get the product on the field for the first time and you see it and you're like, and it's not the product you expected, but it's the product you're hoping it's when watching the Panthers game and I'll lead into the Panthers Raiders here. There were after the game, there was a lot of overreaction, um, especially from the play call at the end of the game. But, I'll talk about that here in a bit. Um, the Panthers played a lot better than I expected. Um, I have to go, I have yet to go back and watch the tape and I wish Game Pass would release the all 22 coaches tape so then I can really get down into the tape. But of course they're not 
laying the tape out yet, and that's driving me nuts. But anyways, but from my point of view, the offense was the true strength of this Panther football team. I was very impressed with Teddy Bridgewater. Um, he had a couple passes where he underthrew some balls, and he almost had a couple that were also picked or almost picked. Um, but I thought he drove the ball well, um, especially downfield. Um when he wanted to drive the ball downfield, he was accurate. He was smart. He was efficient. And I mean, it was almost like what we were expecting with Bridgewater entering the year. It's like, that's just his game. He's not going to be someone that's just super flashy and all. I was really surprised at how involved he was in the run game. Like he had to get out of the pocket a few times and um, made some nice plays on the ground, but um, he's not the type of guy that's, going to run the ball like Cam Newton. He's not that type of player. He's someone that um, is elusive, out, um, trying to get out of the pocket, trying to make plays out of the pocket, and he can make plays out of the pocket. It's just um, you're, he's not going to be like that Patrick Mahomes that's just going to make insane throws on the move. It, it's just he's not that player. Um, the offensive line, it, it looked solid, especially with Russell Okun and Taylor Moton. From my point of view, Okun held up really well in his first true healthy game in quite some time. So, you know, if he can carry on, I mean, of course, I'm going to have to go back and watch the coach's film, see how well he actually did. But from my point of view, Okun, like, if he continues to play as well as he did um, Sunday, then I think the left tackle spot's going to be okay for this year. But, again, I think they do have to go after uh, a young left tackle or like Greg Little develop and become their starting left tackle here in the next year or so. Um, Taylor Moton looked good, as always. Um, he should have a contract extension by now. But, no, Marty Harney's more concerned about the next week of teams and all that, which, okay, I understand that, but – when you have a player like Taylor Moton who could be a starter for a lot of teams right now, like you, you got to pay the man. You, if the Panthers let Taylor Moton walk, it's just going to be an embarrassment on the franchise for not locking up one of their really good offensive tackles that they have had over the last few years. Um, the interior offensive line, it's still a problem, and center Matt Paradis didn't look that promising, which disappointed me. Um, McCaffrey was still McCaffrey, just tearing apart defenses on the ground and as a pass catcher. Um, he, he did have one drop, um, I think in the second half, I believe. Uh, but overall, he caught the football well. Um, he, he was used a lot, um, from the slot and the boundary, um, which made me happy because he has that ability to really be a threat as a wide receiver, not just out of the backfield, but when lining up at in the slot or as a wide back or um, on the boundary as an outside receiver. So it was good to see that. Um, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, they're a really good tight bunch. Uh, this is a very good group of wide receivers with their own type of skill sets. And I'm very excited to see how well they match up against Tampa Bay secondary next week because – when watching the Saints Buccaneers game, that, that Saints secondary it, it's not that bad. It's not bad at all. It, they're really they're a really solid group. Sean Murphy Bunting is a player, dude. My goodness. But anyways, um, really impressed with the receivers. 
Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, more. They were getting their fair share fair share of reps. Anderson had that big touchdown late in the game to put the Panthers up ahead. Um, but sadly, their defense wasn't able to get the job done at the end, and that's where I lead off with. The defense for the Panthers, we all know this. They're young. They're inexperienced. But they played okay. They played a lot better than I was expecting. But in a way, they kind of played like I was expecting. Um, like, the pass rush, it wasn't really there for some reason. Like, the pass rush was going to be the like the group on defense to really just get pressure on the quarterback, to really just be the bright spot on that defense. And they only had five pressures all game. Granted, and granted, they were playing a really good Raiders offensive line with a good interior. Um, Trent Brown went out of the game with an injury, and their backup offensive tackle came in and did just as well. And Colton Miller was doing well as well. So I, I had to tell fans, you know, like when you're playing an offensive line that that is that good, I mean – it's kind of understanding as to why the Panthers only had five pressures all game. It's because they were playing a really good off offensive line that any team would kill for. Any team would kill for, to have a Raiders offensive line, offensive line like that. They wouldn't kill to have Derek Brown on their team. And that's a different story to talk about. Derek Brown, he was all right. He drove, he, I didn't see him drive the ball downfield. I didn't expect him to because he's, too conservative with the football. I did see him. He wasn't throwing um, to his backs in the backfield as much, but he was still um, still tearing it up in the short intermediate range, but he wasn't really taking any deep shots all game. Um, Derek, Derek Brown flashed a, bit, a bunch Sunday and so showed some terrific punch at the point of attack. Um, he had, there was one play where he just murdered this, Murdered the left guard. I think it was Gabe Jackson who just got ransacked by Derek Brown and just Brown. If he can keep that going on a consistent, on a consistent basis, that's going to be a very dangerous football player for years to come. Jeremy Chin, uh, the Panthers rookie hybrid safety linebacker. He started as strong safety to, um, Sunday. He was the best player on the field or on the defense, which came to my surprise. I thought Shaq Thompson or Trey Boston were going to show out, um, but Shaq Thompson led the team in tackles, but Jeremy Chin was just all over the field. He was making plays in coverage. He was also making plays against the run. Um, he was tackling well. Um, he was probably the most imp- – he was probably one of the more impressive players on the Panthers' defense Sunday. Um he did have his moments, of course, but any rookie does when they're making their first start. So um, really impressed with Jeremy Chen uh, Sunday. Uh, eight tackles on the day, so a good day overall. Second most tackles ever by a Panther by a Panther rookie defender. So that was a good day for Jeremy Chen. Uh, Razzle Douglas, who Carolina claimed off waivers um, just last week and made some nice plays on the ball. Um, and could walk up the starting role alongside Dante Jackson, assuming Dante Jackson is healthy. 
if Dante Jackson, who left the game Sunday with an injury, if he's not healthy and not ready to go for Sunday, Douglas is going to be their top corner, which is crazy. Caroline just claimed him off waivers two weeks ago, and now he could be he could be the team's number one corner entering the weekend. That just blows my mind. But Douglas made some good plays on the ball, very impressive in the secondary. Troy Pride, he had his moments, but um, he had his rookie mistakes, of course. But um, I thought he showed off some potential there. Um, and like I said, the Raiders didn't really push the ball downfield, but I think Trey Boston and safety Justin Burris, they were securing the back end of that defense really well. Um, secondary did struggle, and the defensive side of the ball overall just couldn't tackle for the most part. I mean, when they were trying to get after Josh Jacobs, they couldn't bring him down on first contact. I mean, it's hard to bring Jacobs on first contact, but when you're trying to help, trying to win the game late in the game, like they couldn't tackle him worth a crap. Like even after the third hit, he wouldn't go down. Like Jacobs was just shedding tackles. I'm like. If this is going to be the defense that the Panthers are going to be having all year, then, I mean, it is what it is. We'll, it'll, it'll improve over the course of the year. But, you know, I don't know about the Tampa Bay game, man, um, this weekend. Like, you're that defense that gets a pissed off Tom Brady after the game he had against New Orleans. Yikes. I'm not expecting Carolina to win at all at Tampa Bay. This weekend, it's not going to be a good day for Carolina's defense. But I will say this: the the last play of the game, when that fourth and inches or that fourth and one, uh, where they had Alex Armand, the fullback, run up the gut um, to try and get that first down. They they were running the ball well with Christian McCaffrey all day long, and fans were like, "Why do you not get the ball to Christian McCaffrey there?" Here's the thing. Going back and watching that last play for the Panthers, the play was the right call. It just wasn't executed right. Guys, Paranis got blown off two yards off the ball. Chris Manhurst, the tight end, misses completely whipped on his block. Two other guys were whipping on their blocks too, and then and the Raiders were all over our mall before he even hit the line of scrimmage. And so it, it was just a poor executed play, but the play design, the play design and the play call, I think was right. It's just the execution has got to be better at that point. So I mean, overall the team they were very resilient. They were tough. They were competitive, and I expect that to be um, the name of the Panthers throughout the season. How they're going to play this year. Um, Matt Rule really have some competing. Very impressive first game from um, Joe Brady up until that. In the game, a lot of fans were questioning that last call, but I think overall Joe Brady was calling a really good game. Um, really liked a lot of the play designs, um, the motions, the shifts, um, how they went empty a good amount. Um, it, it, it was just so neat to see. And I'm like, what would Cam Newton look like in this offense? What would he look like under Joe Brady? I mean, he'd just be absolutely insane. In this offense, and that's where I lead off to with Cam Newton's debut in New England. Cam Newton, he's healthy, and he's back to being a very good elite football player. Fan, I cannot believe fans were fans and media, New England media, 
as a matter of fact. We're saying Jarrett Stidham could beat out Cam Newton for the starting job because he knew the system better. You give Cam Newton a few weeks to learn the system, and, and I mean, he's still learning it, but you give him a few weeks to learn most, if not all, of the system, the Josh McDaniels offense, he's going to be the starter no matter what. And so he comes in here like we were all eager to see what he would do um, to start out. And then, like, he started running the football, and he was running really well. And I'm like, ooh, that foot looks good. Look, He looks healthy. He looks really good. And then he dropped back for his first pass. He just threw a dart to Julian Elman. He dropped it. But, you know, Cam, that shoulder, that arm, it it's still good, still really, really elite. That arm just, he fires rockets. He was firing rockets for the most part. He was he was smart. He was efficient. He was accurate. Um, he was the same old Cam. It looked like from a few years ago when um, in 2018, uh, before he got hurt in Pittsburgh, um, there were some drops during the game, like I said. Um, but the receivers for New England did Cam Newton well. Um, the Keel Harry man could have scored Cam Newton's first passing touchdown, and he freaking fumbled the football right before the goal line, and the ball went into the back of the end zone for a touchback. I'm like, Harry, you asshole. Come on, man. Come on. Give uh, it. That ticked off a lot of Panther fans that were watching the game. That were like, this is what Cam Newton has had to deal with for the last nine years in Carolina. Like, this is exactly what we're talking about. But I'll say this. That offensive line for New England, it's not bad. It's Actually, good. Like, losing Marcus Cannon, yes, that's that's a big loss. And I think there were some instances where they did miss Marcus Cannon. Like, New England gave up a few sacks. But overall, that's the best offensive line that Cam Newton's ever been a part of or ever had blocking for him. The group of receivers is arguably one of the best he's had in his entire career. Uh, even though they're not great group receivers, they're still really rock solid. Um, so next week, Cam Newton travels to Seattle for Sunday Night Football against Russell Wilson. Wilson and Newton getting together for another great matchup, potentially. We'll have to see what New England's game plan is for Newton um, this weekend against Seattle. Um, we know Seattle's probably going to put up a bunch of points because, um, I mean, they freaking destroyed Atlanta's defense Sunday. Um, they'll have to see how they can stop Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, who went off against Atlanta. Um, they'll have to see how they can stop Greg Olson, um, who had a good game as well, um, and just stopping Russell Wilson overall. I mean, this is going to be the first true test for New England's defense without um, Dante Hightower um, and that, for that solid um, New England front. So it's just going to be really inter- interesting to see. Um, I expect Josh McDaniels to let Cam Newton open it up a little bit in the passing game. Like, against Miami, it was more just trying to get him comfortable, letting him run the ball, letting Letting him be the player he needs to be. Now you got to really start opening him up against a potential playoff team like Seattle with their offense. And so if you're having to go toe to toe with them, 
you got to put up points. And so I expect Cam Newton to – this is going to be the first time Cam Newton's really going to show off that arm um, consistently and a lot more. He only threw 19 passes against Miami. So I expect that number to go up a good bit. I could see him maybe throwing 30 to 35 times during the game. So we'll have to see how he does um, against Seattle's defense in that secondary with Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, uh, Chico Griffin. So it's going to be really interesting to see what Ken Newton does against Seattle. And also, we have to think about this for a second. Cam Newton could end up with a contract extension in a few weeks if he continues to play like he is right now. So I'm excited to see what Newton does against Seattle. Um, Devin, what uh, some of the games you watched on Sunday? I know you watched the Saints and um, Bucks game. Um, what stood out to you Sunday, and also what did you think of the Buccaneers Saints game on Sunday? Yeah, so I'll start with the Bucks and Saints game because that's a game that I, I pretty much watched from start to finish. Um, to me, I guess what stood out is that, you know, it, it looks like the Saints defense, the defensive secondary is really taking the next step. Uh, they added Janoris Jenkins late last season, and uh, he's really gotten comfortable in in the Saints system and, and making plays. Obviously, he got the pick six against Brady. Uh, but even the thing that stood out more was the pressure that Brady was getting from the Saints. Uh, and they were doing it, you, you know, they didn't necessarily have to blitz. They were getting it from their front four. Um, obviously, Tristan Wirfs looked pretty good. It was Donovan Smith that was really a, a big issue for the Bucks, uh tackles. And the Saints were getting some interior pressure as well. So uh, it looks like, at, at least for the very moment, obviously, it's going to be hard for anybody, especially a quarterback, to come into a new system and, and succeed immediately. Uh, but for Cam Newton, I mean, for uh, Tom Brady, <laughs> I don't know how I did that. Uh, but for Tom Brady, he struggled um, for, for a good majority of the game. Him and his receivers weren't in sync. Uh, a lot of miscommunications. The first interception that Brady threw, actually, uh, was a miscommunication uh, between Mike Evans and Tom Brady. Um, he was expected Evans to go deeper into the zone. Uh, Saints were playing cover two. But he uh, stopped short, and that led to an easy interception for Marcus Williams. Um, but for the most part, man, uh, it, Gronk didn't look that great. Um, he had uh, a couple catches, but for the most part, uh, he wasn't really a big threat downfield. When the Bucks actually aired it out, they were pretty successful. Uh, you know, Brady hooked up with good Godwin for a uh, 38-yard gain earlier in the game, and then uh, third quarter after the pick six, Brady responded for it with a nice bomb to Mike Evans uh, that got a P.I. and got them restarted and, and led to his first passing touchdown as a Buccaneer. Uh, so I think that the, their problem was adjusting. Um, Bruce Arians had a nice game plan coming into the game. They went down, scored the first drive, but then things start. They started to struggle. Uh, they were became predictable. They ran the ball a bunch on first down. There was really no variation. Uh, instead of letting Tom Brady like pass on some of those occasions, uh, and, and, and they were pretty successful on first down throws. I mean, it, it was just kind of puzzling to watch Arians. You know, uh, it's kind of his, some of his play calling because it, it seemed like it just didn't make sense. Um, you know, those first down runs weren't working. The Saints' interior defensive line and uh, you know edge guys were dominating in, in the run game. It was impossible for Ronald Jones to find seams. Um, on first and second downs 
Um, so it, it was it was uh, puzzling to see that uh, Sinks offensively looked kind of sluggish. Uh, Breeze, it doesn't look like he's going to be that guy that's going to get 4,000, 5,000 yards this year. It's going to be one of those seasons where kind of reminds me of the Denver Broncos and Peyton Manning's last season where his arm just isn't there, you know, like he he's just doesn't look the same. Um, and I, I think that, you know, as Saints fans, we got to prepare for games just like Sunday where he throws for like, you know, 200 un, under 200 yards, a couple touchdowns. But, you know, the offense isn't dominating. So uh, for the I mean, Alvin Kamara did look healthy. That was something I wanted to note for the Saints as well. He looked really healthy. Uh, he ended up scoring three total touchdowns on a day uh, or almost three touchdowns on a day. They, they took away his last one. So he looked he looked nice and healthy. He, he was really effective. Uh, Michael Thomas suffered a, a high ankle sprain at the end of the game uh, against the Buccaneers. Uh, they're sitting on he, He's going to try to play through it. They're going to monitor for Monday night football against the Las Vegas Raiders. But it in that you know department it doesn't look great. I think they should just let him sit for a couple weeks and and let him heal up. You know I think the Saints have enough weapons now in the receiving game. They got Emmanuel Sanders still in the fold, who uh, who had a really nice touchdown in the third quarter. Uh, got caught a um, a shallow route. You know guys, uh, helmet nearly torn off, but he still found a way to get in the end zone. So uh, for the most part, the Saints offensive line looks solid. Only gave up one sack. Uh, Breeze just didn't look as great as we were expecting. Really wasn't that great of a quarterback duel, to be honest. Uh, the Buccaneers secondary re- really knocked off the receivers' timing for the Saints. Uh, like you said, um, their their secondary looked pretty good. Um, they have probably the best linebacker duo in in the NFL with Devin White and uh, Levante David. Uh, the both of them are studs, and that they showed that on Sunday. I mean, they derailed one like a single drive, just each one of them making plays on first, second, and third down. So that was uh, another thing for the Bucks. that's encouraging. Their linebacking core is solid. Uh, they have a solid defensive line. Now they got to figure out their secondary. But it looks like they're going to be a good team. Uh, they, I think they're a playoff team. You know, had some miscues, still were in the game, uh, still had a chance. So they're going to be a tough team to beat in, in the NFC South and NFC in general. Uh, some of the games that I was looking into, uh, kind of not not really surprised. We knew the Cardinals were gonna make a you know make that next step and and look good um, offensively at least. Had DeAndre Hopkins who had a monster opening game performance for the Cardinals. Uh, Kyler Murray looked pretty good as well. Uh, I guess the thing that surprised me was the Cardinals defense. They were really solid against the 49ers. Really slowed down that uh, potent offense that was last year. Uh, 49ers don't look the same. I know they added Trent Williams and some other pieces, but their receiving, you know, receiver position is so decimated that it it just looked ugly on Sunday for them offensively. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't look great either. Uh, there was a play that everyone's pointing out where he like spins three times in a pocket for no reason. So uh, that that was kind of the highlight as well. Browns got absolutely dominated. It was an ugly game for the Browns and Ravens. Uh, Ravens came out, handled business, uh, and, and you said you picked the Browns to win. I just remember that. I don't know why uh, I said that, man. I just, I, I think low-key I'm a Browns fanboy who just wants the Browns to be good again, and so I don't have to hear the media just trash them every, every year for not 
living up to the hype. I just want them to live up to the hype once. And I had to look back at the tape of um, the game. Um, I get, it's week one with a new head coach, uh, new play caller, um, new style of offense. Um, defense is different from last year. I mean, it's it's different, but you know, it disappoints me that Cleveland um, really didn't start off fast, but. Again, I get it. Not a lot of time um, last month because, I mean, we didn't have any preseason games. We didn't have – it was just all training camp. Um, and the team really didn't get together until late July. So, um, yeah, I I hope the Browns turn it around this Thursday night. But, yeah, I, I'm disappointed in that pick. But Lamar Jackson in that game from going back and watching some of the highlights, watching some of the um, game on Game Pass um, or the broadcast uh, viewing, he he looked a lot better as a passer than he did last year, and that's scary. He still looked like the same player as a runner, but oh my god, like this! If he's getting better as a passer and he's still this good as a runner, like this is what this is. Michael Vick 2.0, but 10 times better. Like, this is going to be, if he continues on the path that he's going, he could win another few MVPs, maybe win a couple more Super Bowls, and be one of the better, and probably end his career. And I know I'm getting out there with this, but he could end up in, he could end his career in 10, 15 years if he can stay healthy as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time in terms of just how impactful he was in both the passing game and the run game. So um, that Ravens team is very, very good. They're going to be very good. They're arguably one of the best teams in football. So in a way, it didn't surprise me. Baltimore had that type of game they did. It's just I was expecting Cleveland to be a lot more competitive, a lot um, to make the game somewhat close, but I wasn't expecting a blowout like that. Yeah, uh, something else that kind of stood to me out to me as well. Uh, I was wrong about the Lions winning, but they should have won. <laughs> I do want to point yes. that out. Uh, DeAndre Swift did drop a pass and then the game. I know people are going to overreact about that, but he has a solid rookie debut. Mm-hmm. I'm still waiting for Jeff Okuda to, to, you know, get healthy with his hamstring and, and be ready to play. Uh, it was kind of disappointing he didn't get to play. Um, you know, some other things uh, to know, Aaron Rodgers looked really good for the Green Bay Packers. He's looking lethal again. Uh, you know, obviously, Devontae Adams is in a fold, um, but I'm going to give it another couple weeks. Uh, you know, they're still going to need a second and third receiving option. I know he made some spectacular plays and, you know, he, he really was the difference maker in that game against the Vikings. Um, but I, I still don't believe in their other receivers. Uh, Vikings. Uh, they really regressed defensively. They had some young guys in the secondary. Uh, Cam Densler didn't look great. Um, don't know if Jeff Gladley, Gladney saw the field or not. Really didn't get a chance to look in that game in depth. Um, but that was uh, another game that was like, you know, pretty disappointing. Jaguars look good. Uh, Gardner Minshew is, is looking pretty good, man. Uh, LaVisca Chenault had, had uh, a solid debut. Obviously got DJ Chark involved. Uh, that uh, the I believe they had an undrafted free agent running back starting for the Jaguars that 
think James Robinson is his name. Uh, he had a really good debut for the Jaguars as well. Um, but they, they edge out the Colts. Not gonna say I'm that surprised. I know that we were expecting the Colts to win, but, uh, the Jaguars, like, like we both talked about, they have a solid team. They have pieces. They have talent. So they're not going to be a god awful team this year. Um, I will say this about, sorry, I'll say, I'll say this about the Jaguars and, the reason why they were efficient on, on offense is because they got a new offensive coordinator, Jay Gruden, who's a great offensive mastermind. And you pair Jay Gruden up with Gardner Minshew, you get him right, and this is the result you get. He only has one incompletion all game. And people are like, oh, this is what we were expecting Baker Mayfield to be. But, I mean, it's week one. We still got a full season ahead. This is promising to see that Jacksonville is one and zero to start the year. No one expected that. No one. I don't think anyone expected them to win at all this year. So this is if they continue to play like this, and if C.J. Henderson can play like he did um, Sunday, he was impressive. Very, very impressive. I went back and watched some of the broadcast and some of the plays he made. Oh my goodness, he was making some really, really good plays, um, especially on the football. So it's good to see C.J. Henderson uh, breaking out in the first game. Um, Gardner Minshew playing well. The team overall playing well. LaVisca Chanel looked really good as well. So it was good to see Jacksonville um, like just say, hey, shh, let's do our thing. We'll let y'all keep doubting us. We'll go win it few more games than y'all expected us to, it's fine. But, you know, if Jacksonville can keep this up, they could end up winning six games. Yeah. Maybe even seven. They could get to 500, possibly. If they if they show enough that, hey, we're a better football team than people say we are, then you can forget Trevor Lawrence at number one. Yeah, pretty and much. Especially if Garner Minshew is playing this well. So, I mean, I don't think they should go after Lawrence anyway, but like I said, that's a different conversation for another day. Yeah. Um, but, uh, some other, some other quick thoughts before we move on, uh, to your big board. Um, Russell Wilson looks, he is the MVP candidate right now. Um, he is the front runner in my opinion. Uh, he had a phenomenal day against the Falcons and looks like they're going to start allowing him to finally unleash and stop, you know, stop running the ball like you know 50 times a game actually let him throw the ball down the field um so you know he he should be an early front runner early favorite to win mvp as long as the offense keeps opening up for him you're telling you're you're telling me the seahawks the team that loves to run the football is finally realizing what the weapons that russell wilson has right now with greg olson dk metcalf uh jacob hollister tyler lockett and then Maybe in a few weeks, if Josh Gordon gets reinstated, he could be coming back, um, could resign and come back to them. And they're like, oh, yeah, let's finally start throwing the football. And, you yeah, know, they, it works. It works. It yeah, they only ran, works. They ran the ball 20 times yesterday. Uh, Russell Wilson threw a ball 35 times, 31 for 35, 322. And four passing touchdowns. Um, if that if that's not offensive player of the week, then I don't know what is. Uh, but yeah, he's finally emerging uh, as a true MVP candidate. So that's exciting to see. 
Uh, not exciting for the rest of the league, though. Uh, that's very a very dangerous position, especially in NFC West, where we thought, you know, 49ers are going to, you know, be another year where they dominate. But I don't know, man. Seahawks, Seahawks might take the crown this year, and the Rams are looking surprisingly de- decent, you know? It did look solid. The Rams looked really solid from when I was watching the game. I'm like, okay, this might be – and when watching Hard Knocks, I was like, okay, this might be a better team than everyone's saying is. I, I not I was not high on L.A. coming into the year. I'm still a little hesitant about them, but they looked good. Aaron Donald can basically He's win you games. It's, it's, it's Aaron, a non-run-stopping run Donald, apparently. Oh, yeah. For sure. Average against the run. Can't be good against the run. You know, it's just can't be a good football player if you're not good against the run, which I guess Darnold isn't. But, I mean, you know, he's getting to the quarterback all the time and he's basically unblockable. But, again, he's average against the run. It's whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, but, yeah, last- Jalen Ramsey, Ramsey playing well. Like that safety duo that um, the Rams have. Receivers looked good. Woods, Cup. Van Jefferson. Yeah, he flashed. He flashed a good amount. Um, backfield, Game Makers flashed some. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a great day for him, but um, for uh, is it that Malcolm Brown? Malcolm Brown looked yeah. looked pretty good. That uh, isn't great though. No, uh, it's going to eventually be a problem. I see what they were trying to do, and they are working around those deficiencies, but. Eventually, they're going to have to throw the ball down the field. And when they had to, uh, they did have a little bit of issue. Uh, Alden Smith looked really good for the Cowboys defensive line. Uh, he, you know, obviously took, you know, four or five years off dealing with some personal issues and, uh, you know, dealing uh, with some legal issues. But he's back and he's going to be, uh, you know, hell for the Eagles and pretty much every team in that division in NFC East. I mean, they don't have a solid left tackle. In, in the NFC right now, NFC East right now. Uh, so it, it's going to be, it's going to be a long day for whenever, whoever the Cowboys play. They're going to be led by their defense, the offensive, <sighs> the Cowboys, man, that offensive game plan is, is still their Achilles heel, man. Uh, they got all these weapons, but it just, just wasn't coming together, man. It started out so well last year. I mean, they were just putting up points like no one's business. And then uh, Jason Garrett just, I don't know. It, Mike McCarthy, it, he's not play, calling the plays, but you know he may have some influence on the play calling. And you know, and Keelan Moore, yet yeah, he's the offensive play caller, but you know McCarthy has some say in it. So if this turns out that this is Dax last year, with Dallas, and they're not able to extend him, and they don't have a good year on that offensive side of the ball. And I know we're probably overreacting, but it's just a huge disappointment for Dallas. Just really shame on Jerry Jones, shame on Stephen Jones, shame on the whole Cowboys franchise, honestly, for not get not making sure they get Dak Prescott the contract he deserves and instead of paying a freaking running back insane money and not paying their quarterback. That's ridiculous. 
is, I don't know. It's Dallas is going Dallas. They're, they're, they'll somehow end up with a winning record. Um, but also they could always finish 500 again. But who yeah. knows? I mean, they, they got the talent to, to finish better, but who knows? Uh, last thing before we move on, Joe Burrow's, uh, you know, debut, number one pick. Uh, I thought he looked okay. You know, there were times the offensive line just didn't help him. Uh, some of his receivers dropped some crucial passes. Uh, another controversial pass interference, offensive pass interference to end the game. Uh, they called it on AJ Green and then his, his field goal kicker missed the kick to tie the game after, you know, he led a masterful drive at the end of the game. Um, so, you know, uh, honestly, there were a few 2020 rookies that stood out, uh, but for the most part, uh, I mean, Chase Young, he had a monster debut. Uh, I feel like we really didn't get a chance to talk about him. I had a sack and a half, had a monster debut uh, against the Eagles. But, you know, really for the, what, top 10, 15 picks, it, it wasn't, you know, great. Isaiah Simmons struggled. Uh, Derek Brown had some flashes. Um, trying to think of some others down the list. Tristan Wurst was solid mm-hmm. uh, against Cam, Cam Jordan. Uh, Makai Beckton had his moments for the Jets. Jets obviously got steamrolled by the Bills. Not, no surprise there. Um, trying to think of who else, you know. Yeah, uh, he, he left with the injury, though. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Um, CJ Henderson. Uh, did mm-hmm. he go top 15? He went top 15, right? He went nine to Jacksonville. Gotcha. Yeah, he, he, he looked really good. Uh, but overall, you know, it was, an, and you have to kind of attribute that to no preseason, obviously, in, in a shortened training camp. Uh, but, you know, generally speaking, it, it was a, you know, solid week of NFL action. Uh, like I said, we talked about, you know, kind of Daniel Jones looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steelers def- defense looks lethal. Um, and then the nightcap. So, uh, you know, it was a, it was a great, great week of NFL, you know, games in yeah. general. Uh, it, it was you know, good to see NFL football back. And I want to preach patience with these rookies. I want to preach patience with these fans. Like, be patient with the rookies. They're not going to make an instant impact from the get-go unless you're a insanely generational, rare prospect like Chase Young. Like, Chase Young was making impact plays like no tomorrow. But people have to be patient with these guys because no preseason, not a lot of time together. Um you're 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 gonna show some rawness for sure, especially these first few weeks. Expect probably by like the second half of the season you'll see you'll start seeing some of these guys really get going um and really start showing off their talent so I'm not gonna bash any of the rookies. Um, especially the ones that didn't really play to their expectation um, for the team. But, again, it's week one. We shouldn't really be overreacting um, this bad to, like, underperformance and all. So let's just be patient about it. We still got 15 um, games left in the season for every team. So let's just wait and see what happens. So it's time to show off my – First 2021 NFL Draft Big Board, um, which officially went live at midnight 
on bluechipsguide.com. I have recently shared it on Twitter. Um, you can go check it out there. Again, bluechipsguide.com. Um, Devin and I write for the website as football and NFL draft analysts. Um, so I'm going to break down some of my big board here on the podcast. And I broke down um, the top 10 a little bit in the article as well as some of the players. Um, but here I'm going to just give you, if you haven't seen the big board yet, I'll give you my top 10 real quick. Let me pull up my big board and then we'll get started. So my first overall prospect for the 2021 NFL draft is Trevor Lawrence, quarterback out of Clemson. I mean, this is, you hate to throw around that generation talent label on him, but when you see him play, you can't help but realize like this is going to be a future star in the NFL. This could be a potential base of the NFL. Like this is a, he's already the face of college football. And the what what he has done over the summer um to and protests and having those conversations with people and um leading the charge of um making sure players are healthy um and aware of COVID nineteen and also um, the battle against social injustice um, and racism in this country. Like he has done such a great job off the field and you know damn well that there will be anonymous scouts that will say, this will bring his draft stock down. He won't go number one overall because of it. Like if this is an, an anonymous scout saying this, then that scout shouldn't be scouting in the NFL. It's that simple. So in that way, Trevor Lawrence, incredible football player, elite talent, Number one prospect on my board. Another player that also deserves that generation talent label is Panay Sewell, who's my second overall prospect. Um, there aren't a lot of flaws with this dude. This is a very talented offensive tackle prospect who can be a cornerstone um, tackle for an NFL franchise for the next 10 to 15 years. And, you know, there's there's easily an argument for him to be the top prospect in this draft, and that really doesn't surprise me either. Um, so Trevor Lawrence, Penesa, well, both of them deserve the franchise or the generation talent label. Um, and the fun fact about Sewell is that he's only 19 years old. He's only 19. He's going to be 20 here soon. He's got an... In 10 years, he's going to be 30 years old. So, like, it, it doesn't – like, when he steps onto the NFL field on the great honor, he's going to make an immediate impact from the start. There are some technique issues that I did know when watching his film, but he he masks that really well with um, his movement skills and his tools, his hands, his uh, just – being a, his functional athleticism, um, being an excellent blocker, run uh, as in the passing game and the run game, um, really solid technique and footwork overall. And like I said, he can be a guy that can be a cornerstone for an NFL franchise for the next 10, 15 years. I mean, this is this is a legitimate football player that should not. And I, I've already seen people try and nitpick his game, and I'm like. You, you realize he can still be successful 
with the talent he has right now, and he can improve that with coaching. Like, he can get better at that with coaching. Like, I don't understand. Like, you're trying to say he's not going to be good in the next level because he is, like, inconsistent in a way with his technique and footwork. But, like, I don't have any problems with that because, I mean, he's just a phenomenal football player. Number three on my board is Micah Parsons, linebacker out of Penn State, and Dylan Dylan Moses, linebacker out of Alabama, is my fourth overall prospect. Both of them are competing for the label as the top defensive player in this draft class with guys like Gregory uh, Rousseau um, out of Miami, the pass rusher from there who opted out, um, and Marvin Wilson, the interior defensive tackle from Florida State. Uh, both of those linebackers are very unique in their own uh, in their own respect. Both of them have, are incredible talents. Both of them should be starting linebackers at the at the next level. Both of them can play any line any of the linebacker positions. Both of them can be Mike linebackers. Um, both of them have terrific athleticism, terrific instincts, um, good football IQ. Um, it, it's just both of them are very very talented players. Um, and I'm excited to see Dylan Moses on the field for the first time in over a year this season. And it's such that we won't see Micah Parsons on the field again this year, but I think his talent or his tape from last year, especially the last few games of the season from 2019, um, I think it shows a um, very extremely talented football player. Um, if Parsons is able to graduate before um, – before December or by December, maybe he could end up being in at the Senior Bowl, which would be awesome to see. And we'll see how he does with his how dis, how disciplined he is with his eyes because he does have some discipline problems, but not like off the field stuff, not like on field. It's just more of his eyes, just seeing what uh, seeing and understanding what's going to happen in front of him. Um, but overall, two great linebackers. Fifth overall prospect, Jamar Chase, wide receiver, LSU. He has opted out of the season as well. His, the tape speaks for, for itself. He's a terrific wide receiver who could, who should end up being a number one wide receiver at the next level. Um, Trey Lance is my sixth overall prospect. I'm a much bigger fan of his than Justin Fields, but both of them are sort of tied for that QB2 spot. Um, Trey Lance, an incredible arm, um, very incredible talent, uh, still raw from a mental processing and footwork standpoint, but you can tell like the talent, the traits, the tools are there to work with, and he's not going to be a guy that's going to start week one in 2021. This is a guy that is going to probably have to sit the first few games or at least sit the year and develop as a quarterback. Um Seventh overall prospect is Caleb Farley, cornerback out of Virginia Tech. Another opt-out um, because of the COVID-19 um, pandemic. The tape speaks for himself as well. He, Farley is an extremely talented cornerback who has only played the position for only a couple years, and he is that good. He is incredible footwork, incredible coverage technique, um, Incredible ball skills, quickness, athleticism. He has it all to be a number one corner in the NFL. My eighth overall prospect is Justin Fields, um, who is one of the more well-known prospects in the entire draft. 
Um, I like Fields' game just as much as Lance, but I think Lance has a better arm than Fields. That's kind of the tiebreaker for me between the both of them. Fields is basically, like I said with Lance, he'll he'll probably have to sit the first few games of the season in 2021, or he's going to have to wait until 2022 to start. So it'll be interesting. If there is Big Ten football this fall, which we're waiting to see what the Big Ten does with the presidents and chancellors and what they're voting on over the next couple days, and if there's and they end up voting um, to have the season start in mid October, then we may we may see Justin Fields after all this season. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there, but. We don't get to see Fields on the field um, this fall. We'll at least have the 2019 tape, which did show a very extremely talented football player. Um, so we can really get a lot off the 2019 tape, but it would really be disappointing if we didn't get to see him on the field this fall. Number nine overall player is Marvin Wilson, my my top interior defensive tackle. Um, just a very, very good football player overall with a good pass rush plan. Um, very powerful at the point of attack, can split double teams like no one's business, can just shed off um, single teams like no one's there. Um, I mean, phenomenal football player. And then my 10th overall prospect is Rashad Bateman, wide receiver out of Minnesota. He is also another opt-out because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Bateman Bateman is a player. uh, He is one of my favorite prospects in in this entire draft. Um, he has a great shot at being a future wide receiver one at the next level. Um, terrific route runner for someone who, uh, for someone his size as he shows good control, fluidity with his cuts and stems and breaks or cuts on stems and breaks at the top of his routes. Very decisive and sudden route runner that make, that makes your eyes go wide. Um, I'm not saying he's son like Jerry Judy, but he, he has that sunness where you're just like, oh my god, this dude's awesome with his route running. Um, ball skills are great. Hands are very strong at the catch point. Um, he has shown the ability to win 50-50 contested catch situations. Um, shows great body control and sideline awareness on the boundary. Um, really good on yards after catch ability. Um, and has the burst and the speed to destroy secondaries. And overall, this is a very good football player that um, I've already given a initial first round grade for um, in my early evaluation, but um, I'll probably give out a final grade um, next uh, next spring or um, next winter or this upcoming winter and spring um, during the draft process. So a couple other players I want to touch on that didn't on uh, in the article prospect I want to start breaking down on my top 50 list is my 45th or 45th overall prospect, wide receiver Daz Newsome out of North Carolina. This is an exciting football player who I think has a bright future as a return man and slot receiver. Incredibly dynamic on short, intermediate, and deep levels of field. Creates some really nice separation and, and possesses some good hands. His route tree is limited, but I think he should grow a bit more in that area this year. And from watching the Syracuse game the other day, he looked very impressive. Now, let me just note that this weekend's games have no effect on my board whatsoever. And whatever happens um, 
and then over the next couple of weeks will have no effect on my board. Honestly, over the next couple of months, like my board's not going to be affected as much. It'll be more just seeing which players have improved or haven't improved and whatnot. So um, I was already a fan of plenty of these guys that I'll be talking about um, today and um, like what what's happened like yesterday or like Saturday with Travis Etienne, him having a great game. That has no effect on to how um, he was placed on my board. So top 20 prospects, I'll get to that here in a minute. My top safety prospect is Florida State's Hamza Naziruddin, uh, my 27th overall prospect. He possesses incredible athleticism and size for the position, plays all over the field, and reminds me a lot of Isaiah Simmons, but he may actually have a future on the back end as a safety. Like Simmons was like no one really knew where he was going to play at the next level, but with um, Naziruddin, you have a Pretty solid understanding where he could play at the next level. Um, and then you have the two running backs in my top 20. Memphis is Kenneth Gainwell, who did opt out because of COVID-19 concerns, um, and Clemson's Travis Etienne, who is a phenomenal back. Or Both of them are very phenomenal football players. Both provide great value at the next level as third down backs, in my opinion. Ohio State's uh, Wyatt Davis. Their left guard, phenomenal football player, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. My top offensive lineman prospect, not named Panay Sewell, um, at 15th overall. He is a physically imposing blocker who just plays really well in space, in space um, plays with a chip on shoulder. Um, his athletic ability isn't that good, but it's good enough, and he shows good power at the point attack and a really good anchor. He has enough movement skills to be a true universal prospect, which means he can really play in any blocking scheme, manpower, inside, wide zones, wide zones. Um, so just a little breakdown of some um, some other um, big names on my on my board that um, some fans might um, be interested at. Devin, what are your takeaways from my board, and does anybody really stand out to you? Yeah, so uh I'm I wasn't too too surprised. Uh I guess I was a little surprised with uh Bateman in the top ten. I do have him as a top fifteen, top twenty prospect. Uh I think I like Sean Wade just a little bit more as a prospect than Bateman. Uh so he will probably crack my top ten. But in, in general, I don't really have any issues with uh your um your big board so far. I think that, you know, pretty much after thirty, like the thirty mark. You know, it's kind of subjective from there. There's a lot of players that can kind of fit in that 30 to 50 range, just showing how deep this class is. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, like I said, kind of the main thing was like I probably have Sean Wade in the top 10 uh, and, you know, probably uh, sneak, maybe sneak uh, Patrick Sertain uh, the second in there as well in the top 10, maybe switching with Caleb Farley. But. Uh, for the most part, I, I really like uh, everything you have here so far. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell was also an, another name that, you know, I, I wasn't expecting to see in the top 20, maybe top 25, top 30. But I also understand, like, he's very versatile, uh, you know, brings a lot to the table, can be a three down back at the next level, uh, really has all the tools to be a successful running back. Um, Gregory Russo, uh, I I understand, you know, having top 20, I think the NFL views him as a top 20 player as well. 
Uh, hate to hate to see that he's not playing this season, uh, especially yeah, with uh, Rose. Um, uh, I just lost his name. Uh, Quincy Roche playing. You know, he had a sack against UAB uh, last Thursday night. Uh, he showed some flashes as well. Um, but like I said, for the most part, I, 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 I also like the TCU safeties. I think they're top 50 prospects for sure in this in this class. Uh, the Notre Dame linebacker, uh, Jeremiah Owusu, Karamoa, uh, he, he's really good. I think he's going to be a top 30, top 20 player by the end of the year. Uh, he's already flashing, uh, this season. He's already, already, uh, making a name for himself. Uh, Paris Ford may cre- creep into the top 40, I think, as well. You have him at 46. Uh, I, I expect him to kind of move up as well. Um, and it's going to be hard for some of the receivers. I think that, you know, just having the, the fit, top 50 big board, I feel like just thinking about so many, how many defensive players and how deep this defensive class is, I think that you're going to see a lot more defensive players in everyone's top 50 just based on the depth that they have at the corner position, linebacker, edge. Um, so really, you know, like I said, when it goes from 30 to 50, it's really up to preference and everything like that. Um, and, and who you kind of value, who you see, uh, as, you know, being a, a guy, a riser, you know, a guy that, you know, can, uh, break out this season, things like that. So, uh, I'm, I'm, like I said, I don't have any huge grievances. I, I can't argue with whoever's on this list because they're, all worthy. I mean, really, the top 75 prospects are just tough to try and group into 50. Um, but, you know, things will change, obviously, over the course of the season and, and great performances and whatnot. But uh, like I said, I, I can't disagree with it too much. I appreciate it. And, you know, there was one player I really hated leaving out in my top 50, and that was uh, Chas Surratt, who I love a lot. Um, he'll be a top 50 player by the end of the year. He, he's I, I already, so. he's already dominated. Mm-hmm. He, he was dominated against, uh, Syracuse the other day. He, he got hurt in that game, but he came back and still played well. Um, thought he was a better tackler than he was last year. Thought he was, um, more improved with his vision in the backfield. Um, I thought his eye discipline was better. I thought he was um, getting off blocks better. Like he looked a lot better than he did last year. Um, uh, much improved from, um, the year before, again, still growing at the position. He's only in year two as a linebacker, but him being able to do this at, um, as a um, second-year player at a new position, like very, very impressive. And just goes to show his work ethic, um, his football IQ. I mean, this is a very good football player that I really like. Um, yeah, and one player I do want to bring up, in my top 50 is Deontay Brown. Um, when watching, when I was watching, um, Jedrick Wills and Alex, um, uh, Leatherwood, um, from the draft process and even during summer, uh, scouting, um, Brown was flashing a lot, um, as, uh, as a guard. Uh, he's very, very powerful at the point of attack. Um, just a really well framed, well rocked up body. Um, very massive human being. Um, I do have some notes on him here. If I can pull it up, if it can pull up, um, Deontay Brown, where are you? There you are. 
Uh, massive human being, very effective in the run game, and incredible strength and power, great awareness, true molar at the point of attack, um, easily able to move defenders and dislodge them um, out of the gaps, um, suited in more of a manpower blocking scheme, um, really, really good anchor. Um, I don't think he's a guy that really needs to be playing in zone schemes. Um, he's not very flexible. His pad level is inconsistent, uh, struggles against faster players. Um, he has trouble with leverage at times, but overall he's a really good prospect in my opinion. Um, and I'm excited to see what he can do for, um, as arguably, um, the top, um, offensive lineman on Alabama's, um, offensive line. Um, Alex, Alex Leatherwood did not um, touch my top 50. I don't know if he's going to touch my top 60. Um, just not that big of a fan of him. I do see the likeness about him. It's just he's inconsistent. Um, there are things to like about him. It's just he's inconsistent, has balance problems, footwork problems, all that. But he does show a solid anchor. But overall, Deontay Brown's someone I really like um, on the back end of this top 50. Uh, just looking over my board, um, just a lot of really good talent. Um, Dylan uh, Radunas, um, the offensive tackle from North Dakota State. Um, I did some evaluating of him. I forgot to write down notes on him, and that disappoints me. But really liked him as um, when watching the North Dakota State film. Um, you know, um, he he's arguably the top senior um, in this. Uh, or the top senior offensive lineman in this uh, in this draft. Um, I'm excited to see him at Senior Bowl um, if he ends up there. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Trey Smith is another player I like. Uh, Quincy Roche is another player I'm really interested in. Um, some effort issues with Roche in terms of just like going out and trying to pursue the football and all that. But he he has that. He has the flexibility in that bend and that quick twitch twitchiness um, and that explosiveness that a lot of people will fall in love with. So I expect Roche to really show off even with Gregory Rousseau um, out for the season because of opt out. Um, Jalen Phillips could break out onto the scene. He looked impressive as well um, against UAB. Um, but uh, Roche is another, pros- uh, another pass rusher I really like. The edge group isn't really that great this year, which disappoints me. But uh, knowing what's probably going to come next year with um, Kevon with Kevon Thibodeau, like that's going to be a good edge class next year. Um, we could see guy, and if the Big Ten ends up playing this year, we could see guys like Trey, um, um, Tyreek Smith, um, Aiden Hutchinson. Um, Quiddy Pay, um, and some other guys could really come out and break out onto the scene. Um, Joseph Away, um, uh, Shanka Tony, I think that's his name, uh, Penn State pass rusher. Shanka Tony. Um, yes. Um, he's, uh, that's, that's a fun group of pass rushers for, um, for Penn State. And they're raw in their own respect, but they have incredible athleticism. Um, away, he's, wow, like the reports of him and what he's running and what he's testing out is like mind boggling. Like that's freaky, freaky stuff. Like that wouldn't seem possible, but like he, 
If he really tested out in those numbers, he's arguably one of the best athletes in the entire country. Easily. Easily. So, um, he missed out on my top 50. Um, really like him. Really like the potential he has. But overall, this, this is a really good class overall. Um, good cornerback group, good safe, uh, really solid safety group, good interior line group. Um, running backs are really nice. Um, the top three quarterbacks are good. Um, Wide receiver class is probably one of the best I've ever seen. Um, the offensive line group overall, offensive tackle, interior interior offensive line, that's a really solid group. Um, the linebackers are a great group. Um, this is just a really talented draft class overall, and I'm excited to see a lot of these guys on the field throughout the season. All right, guys, that is it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed Um, If you have any questions about my big board or any questions about the NFL draft or the NFL overall, just football in general, you can ask Devin Jackson um, and I um, over on Twitter, uh, Devin Jackson over at, um, is it the underscore real? It's real. It's real D underscore Jackson. There you go. Okay. I figured it was something like that. Um, I hate that. I don't know your username off the top of my head. That disappoints me. I got to learn it. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. Have any questions? You can DM me, um, shoot me a tweet over at JRod Draft Scout on Twitter. Guys, thank you again so much for listening. We'll see you guys later. Peace.